Take your Bible and turn to the book of Titus in the New Testament. If you are a guest of ours, uh, hopefully as you came in, you received one of the bulletins that has some information about things that are going on here at, at Emmaus that will be of help to you. There's some sermon notes on the back that you can track with as we go through the time together studying God's Word. We're going to be in Titus chapter 3. Uh, also, if you're a guest of ours, in the seat back in front of you is an information prayer card. If there's a way that we could serve your family by praying for you, you just need someone to talk to about faith. Maybe you are a part of another church and you're searching, you're looking for uh, answers to some questions. You just need someone to pray with you. We want to be there to serve you, however the Lord's working in your life. Also, I want you to know that in your bulletin, as you open it up, there's a, I know there's a lot of words, a lot of things to look at, but on that flap, just as you open up that flap, one side says next-gen involvement opportunities. As you see the things going on this morning and you think, you know what, I want to be a part of that. I want to know how to get involved in the next generation. I want to know how to serve others. We've given seven different ways that you can jump in and be involved in impacting the next generation. From the very first one, which is today is Compassion International Sunday in churches around the world. Many of you sponsor children through Compassion International. You have a certain amount per month that you give and you sponsor a child to hear the gospel and to be helped through poverty and to invest in that family. Kids all around the world. We've picked kids who have corresponding birthdays to our own kids. So our kids here uh, share birthdays with their Compassion International children. It gives them a connection. They write letters back and forth. So you can see you've got that option all the way down to number seven with the preschool, weekday preschool, Mother's Day Out program that's going to be starting here in August and all in between. If you felt really courageous after seeing these folks up here and you say, you know what, I want to serve I want to get involved helping, teaching, being involved in Vacation Bible School, helping with one of the classes in August. There's the email addresses there that you can reach out to Amy or Courtney or Jaren about how to get involved. We just wanted you to have access to that information. So you may not be able to do all seven. In fact, probably most of us won't be able to do all seven listed there, but it gives you some ways about how you can, uh, how you can get involved. So we wanted you to be able to see that. And then on the back are, are the sermon notes today. It's been a fun day. I love seeing all the ways that, that God's at work in our lives. And now as we see how all of that is grounded in Scripture, we come to the end of our Titus study. We've been in this process for a couple of months now, and we come to the end of Titus chapter 3 this morning. And as Paul is wrapping up this letter, and really as he's coming to the end of his life, he's focused on what really matters. And when you think about Graduates Day, when you think about Next Generation, we're thinking about how do we invest our time, how do we invest our energy, how do we invest our resources to make the most impact? We're going to see that here in Titus chapter 3. Let's start reading in verse 12. Titus chapter 3, verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, Make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those 
who love us in the faith, grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, one, one quick comment before we jump into the sermon. It's the first Sunday of the month here, so we don't have our normal pre-K through first grade children's time. Just know that the lobby's available if the little ones get wiggly, and it's not going to bother me because I have lots of little ones that wiggle, and so that's not a problem for me. But if you need to step out in the lobby, you've, you've got that option. So what's happening here at the end of Titus chapter 3? I've titled this morning's sermon, How to Win. I know that seems a little cheesy, it seems way too much, like you're trying too hard on Graduate Sunday to come up with a title that's going to work there. What's going on there? This idea of how to win, what we're really getting at is how do we not waste our lives? God has given us this life to live, how do we live it in the way that he's created us to live? And I've been reading a book for the last couple of months that's really impacted my life. It's a book that's called Essentialism. It's about how you say no to almost everything so you can say yes to what really matters. And so I've been thinking about that idea. And there was this acronym in there from the word WIN, and it was W-I-N, what's important now? As we think about our life, as we think about our family, as you think about a sports team, as you think about your business, we're always asking this question, Those who win, those who do what really matters, can always answer the question, what's important now? What do I give myself to? What really matters? And when you see the end of the book of Titus, you find that Paul tells us two things really matter. It's partnerships, meaning partnerships with other people being connected to the body of Christ, and it's productivity. And we're gonna talk about productivity so we know what we mean by that and we don't get the wrong idea. But the two things that really matter, the way that we win, the way we do things that show that we're living the life that God has called us to live is do we have partnerships with other people and do we, are we productive? Are we fruitful? Are we doing what really matters? Let's see how this comes out of the book here. Verse 12, look at what Paul is saying here. He says, when I send Artemis, or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis. All right, I've got a fancy uh, map up here. Don't worry that you can't see the words on the map. I'm gonna guide you, guide you through it a little bit, okay? There's the dot up here in the middle. That is Nicopolis that's listed there in your Bible. Obviously, you got access to your phone. You can pull up Google Maps, type in Nicopolis, and you can see, see the same thing. But that, that's Nicopolis. What happens is Paul and Titus, they went to Crete, to this island down here. They did ministry. Paul moves on, and he leaves Titus there to set the churches in order. He says, they need you there to establish these churches on this island. I need you to do that. But notice he says in in verse 12, he says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis. Nicopolis is right here. What happens is after Paul leaves Crete, he travels up in this area right here, and then he's going to spend the winter at Nicopolis, and he needs Titus's help. And so he wants Titus to come to him. And we know from 2 Timothy chapter 4 that this actually happens, that Titus does make it to Paul, and he and Paul end up in a place called Dalmatia that's up north just a little bit. Paul liked to spend the winter in these very strategic places, Nicopolis right here, you're just across from the famous west-east road that led to Rome. 
probably, and this is a really cool part about your New Testament, probably the reason that Paul wants to be in Nicopolis is because we know from the book of Romans, Paul really wants to get to Spain. It's his goal to move west with the gospel, to take the message of Jesus west. And so Nicopolis puts him in contact with this famous east-west road that ran through the ancient world that would have taken him west to where he wanted to go. So Paul is strategic about where he's setting himself up. Verse 12 says, I'm going to send to you Artemis or Tychicus. From the New Testament, we know that Tychicus was very involved with Paul, that he was a part of taking money to the church in Jerusalem. He was connected with Paul in other ways. And we also know from 2 Timothy chapter 4 that Paul ended up sending Tychicus to Ephesus, which would have been back over here. So Tychicus goes over here, which means by process of elimination, this guy named Artemis at the beginning of verse 12 is the one who ends up coming down here to this island. Now you say, what's the big deal about all of that? You aimed your little laser at the map a whole bunch, but like, what's the, uh, what's the point of that? What's going on there? One of the things that you see with Paul in the New Testament is the way that for him, life is a team effort. Paul is all about the body of Christ, the way that God connects our lives together so that through these partnerships and the gospel, we're able to do more as the body of Christ than we could ever do alone. One of the things you see from Paul is the way that he's always about people before he is about productivity. And I say that as a message to myself because if you're like me and you have more of a type A personality, life is more about getting things done and if people accidentally get in the way, you can say hi on the way past you know, as you talk to them, but it's all about how can I be most productive. For Paul, that's not how the kingdom of God works. That's not how the church works. He is always focused on these partnerships in the gospel. Students, as you guys think about graduation, as you think about moving up through high school, heading off to college, Think about who are the partners in the gospel that you've connected with. You're going to have friends, you're going to have peers, you're going to have coworkers, you're going to have people, but who are the partners in the gospel? Who are the people that God has purposefully connected you with so that he will continue to do his work through those relationships? When I hear Paul talking here, I think about in baseball how when a catcher steps in front of home plate and starts directing the defensive players to particular areas, getting people in the right places at the right times so that what you're going to do is going to come to fruition. This is what Paul is all about, is forming these relationships so that the gospel will go further because more people are connected. Here's a couple of application points out of that that's really important for church life. Sometimes in church life, and, and there's not a lot of this at Emmaus, but we have to guard against this for sure. Sometimes in church life, there's this idea that the staff or the pastors do all the ministry, do all the work. I mean, obviously, you look across the New Testament, and that's just not the reality at all. The reason you have pastors, the reason you have church leaders, is so that they are equipping the people to be able to do the work of ministry. This mentality that it's not just about what I can accomplish, it's about who I can invest in. It's not just about how can I get the most done by myself, it's how can I build up others to be the person that God has created them to be. So one of the things we talk about on staff is that we're not the doers of ministry, we're the leaders of leaders. 
We're the ones that God has called to equip and build up you to live out the life that God has called you to live so that you're able to engage fully with the ministry that God has called you to. And so if you ever have this idea, well, I'm glad that there's people over there who are doing ministry. No, everything that we do is the body of Christ. Every place that God calls us out, we are doing the work of ministry. Paul always has this idea that I'm going to invest in others. Let me encourage you to do something. If you serve in any way here at Emmaus, if you volunteer, and it might seem the smallest possible way, but if you serve in any way, make it your commitment to bring someone else alongside you as you do whatever you do. Because you're investing in that person, and you're showing them what God has called you to do, and then there's somebody in place to continue to carry that message forward. We're always looking to multiply. We're always looking to, not just, and hear me out clearly on this, not so we can be a bigger church, not so we can get more done. We're doing this so we can make disciples. Because as we get engaged in the work that God has called us to do, that's usually how that spiritual growth happens. And when you bring somebody along with you in that process, they're not only learning, but you're gonna find yourself growing as well. And so Paul is all about these partnerships. But I want, you to show one, I want you to see one of the ways these partnerships work out. Oh, actually, hang on, before we do that, there's a great quote I want to show you. There's a quote that says, it's from one of the commentators in the book of Titus. Every instruction about doctrine, every warning about heresy, and every encouragement to holiness and good works is effective only as it is realized in the lives of real people. Surely one of the joys of heaven will be to meet first century slaves and their masters, medieval peasants and their lords, pilgrims, business people from India, school teachers from the Czech Republic, computer scientists from Asia, all testifying to the grace of the Lord in their lives. The Christian's joy in any age is to bring the love of Christ to people. It's always about who are the people that God has placed in our lives and how do we partner together so that more people will know about the love of God. How does that happen? Well, look in verse 13. In verse 13, Paul tells Titus, he says, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Almost certainly what's going on in this verse is Zenos and Apollos are the ones who have brought this letter to the island of Crete. So I promise to only show you one more map, but here we go. Um, so we're back to our map. Here's Nicopolis. Here's the island of Crete. Paul's journeying around up here in the north, and he's writing a letter, and he needs to get that letter down here to Crete. Now, not being overly silly here, but obviously he can't email it. There's no way to get it there. It's the ancient world. These things have to be spread as people take them from one place to the next. How's he gonna get the letter from here down to here? Well, it just so happens that Zenos and Apollos are hanging out in the north, so Paul gives them the letter. They travel down to Crete. Why would Zenos and Apollos be good options for this? Because Apollos is from Alexandria down here in North Africa. So he's up here and he says, hey, Paul, I'm headed home to Alexandria. And Paul says, well, hey, imagine that. The island of Crete is halfway on your way home. Could you take this letter to Titus and the churches there because the people need to get this message and you're on your way home to North Africa. Take this letter, you and Zenos take it on to the church. 
for the purpose of, look in verse 13, diligently help them on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. What's going on here is the New Testament idea of hospitality. In the ancient world, as these missionaries and church leaders traveled from one place to the next, when they reached a church, it was that church's job to give them a place to stay, to give them the food they needed, the money they needed, the resources they needed to make it to the next location. So what's happening in verse 13 is Paul is telling Titus in this church, hey, these guys are coming to you. They're bringing the letter. They're going to need more help to get home to North Africa. It's your job to diligently help them get there. The place that you find this hospitality the most in the New Testament is actually in the little book of 3 John that's tucked at the end of your New Testament. 3 John chapter, well, that's a bad comment. There's only one chapter in 3 John. It's just 3 John. Uh, And then there's a, a series of verses. So, 3 John, verses 5 through 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey. That's the same word that shows up in Titus chapter 3. It's translated, send them on their journey in 3 John, but it's the same exact word. Send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So one of the ways that the body of Christ comes together in these partnerships is that as these missionaries go out and as they take these letters from church to church, these churches take care of them and send them to the next place. New Testament hospitality is all about how God connects our lives together so that the gospel of Jesus will go from one place to the next, one generation to the next, one family to the next. This is the reason that God has given you a home. This is the reason that God has given you an opportunity to bring people into your home so that they will see the good news of Jesus on display. And so that through that happening, They will come into encounter with the good news of Jesus, and then it will go from one place to the next. New Testament hospitality looks a little bit different in our world because we don't have as many missionaries just passing through. Depending on the church you grew up in, that may have been a common reality. We don't see that as much, but what doesn't change is the way that God puts our lives together so that more people will know about the good news of Jesus Christ, about the gospel. So that's first, people partnerships. It's all about that. The second thing is this idea of productivity. Look in verse 14. So he mentions all these people in 12 and 13, and then in verse 14, it says, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Paul knows that as the church cares for one another, it's going to impact their lives. So our people must also learn. That word learn there is, is, uh, I want us to stop for just a second there. It's not learning as in gaining more information. In church life, and, and once again, this assumes a little bit of a church background, but in church life, We have a tendency to think about learning as all about how much knowledge can I get in in my head. 
And so you attend a Sunday school class or a small group, and oftentimes we sit in rows and it has very much of a lecture feel. There's a place for that. There, there's ways we need to get that. But learning in the New Testament is always learning with the intent that it's going to impact your character, it's going to impact your actions. And usually, most of us learn not by listening, we learn by doing. Most of us don't learn by sitting and just hearing someone speak. We learn when we get into the action. It was so much fun to talk to families after last week's community serve day. Weather wasn't great, it was cold, it was rainy, but many of you told me about how much your kids loved serving. They loved being out, spending time with one another, doing things. When you teach preschool and children, um, you, you really don't just sit them down in a circle and, and lecture to them. My background in ministry is I started out in youth ministry until I realized I was really bad at it. Uh, so I started out in youth ministry, and, and as a youth minister at a small church, that means you're in charge of a vacation Bible school. So I thought, how hard can this be? Like, it's vacation Bible school. It's a bunch of kids. So I was getting ready, and they said, oh, when you're going to do the Bible study component. I was like, oh, that's great. I love Bible study. These kids are going to love Bible study. Uh, so I had my notes prepared. I had my note page written out. And I said, all right, kids, we're going to sit in a circle here, and we're going to do Bible study. You'd be surprised, like, two minutes into the lesson, one of these kids is doing somersaults, like, through the middle of, of my Bible study lesson. And I thought it was such a good idea that we would meet under a tent, because that would be really cool. So we would meet under a tent. You'd be surprised to know that when you do Bible study with a bunch of small children under tents, tents can collapse on top of you during Bible study, at Vacation Bible School. Turns out that kids don't learn very well by sitting and listening. Guess what? Most adults, we don't learn primarily by sitting and listening. There's a place for that. You say, Owen, we're sitting and listening to you. Are we learning anything? Well, I ask myself that every week, so don't worry. There's a time to sit and hear the word of God taught, to hear the word of God spoken over us. But if that's the end goal, we've missed the point. Because Paul says here, I want our people to learn to engage in good deeds. There's my favorite word, engage, again. But it's this idea that you're learning so that you can put this into action. I'm not learning so I can go home and continue to live my life. I'm going to learn to engage in good deeds. And then look at that next phrase. Good deeds to meet pressing needs. The word pressing there that I'm using out of my translation, it's also the word necessary. I want my people to learn to do good deeds in order to meet necessary needs needs that are out there to meet something that is really facing someone this is the idea in the book of James that if you see someone hungry and you go up to them and say hey I hope it goes well with you have a good day but you don't actually give them anything to eat you haven't really dealt with their necessary need you haven't dealt with what was really pressing in their life and so Paul wants his people to learn how to look out on the world and say that really needs my attention which brings up this really key point in life. How do we determine what's really important? How do we determine what really matters? How do we determine where to invest our time, our energy, our resources, so that they will not be unfruitful? 
the way we determine how to invest our time and our energy and resources is what leads to fruit in God's kingdom. I love this quote here at the bottom. If you have correctly identified what really matters, if you invest your time and energy in it, then it is difficult to regret the choices you make. Students, as you think about graduation, you're thinking about how am I going to live my life? Where am I going to invest it? I do not want to waste my life. Make choices that invest in what really matters. So many times when we look back on our life, you look back on the last 18 years of your life, the last 30 years, the last 50 years, the last 80 years, you look back and you see all the things you've done and then you start to ask yourself, what of that really mattered? I look back at my life, I look back at the things that I've done, what of that really made a difference? That's the type of question we're continually asking ourselves because we wanna make sure we invest in what matters. And we know that what matters is fruit. And in scripture, fruit is spiritual growth and it's new people coming into the kingdom of God. It's this idea that growing in character and the word of God is spreading. More people are coming to faith in Christ. If I'm investing in those things, then I know I'm investing in what God's called me to do. One of the things that doesn't show up easily in this verse, but at that bottom phrase where it says, so that they will not be unfruitful, in the Roman Empire of the time, one of the taunts that was given against Christians, one of the ways that Christians were spoken against is that they were wasting their lives, that they were not contributing to the Roman Empire, mainly because they weren't participating in a lot of the jobs or the activities that were going on in the Roman Empire that were very pagan, and so they had withdrawn from some of those jobs and some of those activities, and so the people were saying, you Christians are completely worthless. You're not producing, you're not adding thing, anything to society. And so this comment seems to be Paul's way of saying, no, no, if you invest in the kingdom of God, you absolutely are being productive. You absolutely are being fruitful. Students, one of the things that you're gonna run into, and these adults can tell you more of what this looks like, but one of the things that you'll run into is that if you invest your life in the church, the way Jaron talked about, if you invest your life in the kingdom of God, somebody's going to come up and they're gonna say, you're wasting your talent, you're wasting your money, you're wasting your time. And it's easy to take that in and say, oh man, maybe I am wasting my talent and my time and my resources. But when you are investing in the church, not the institution of the church, but when you're investing in the body of Christ and you're investing in the kingdom of God, you're never wasting your time. You're never wasting your resources. You're never wasting your gifts. God has given you those so that you're able to be used in his kingdom. How do you do this? How do you live this type of life? God's grace. This is the closing point. God's grace is the foundation for everything. At the end of chapter three, verse 15, the way Paul wraps up this letter is it says, grace be with you all. Now that might sound like just a common end to a letter, and it is. It's, it's a pretty common. You'll find it in other locations. But don't forget that this letter also began with the idea of grace. If you go all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Then down in chapter 2, as it was talking about this idea of salvation, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. The idea of grace, 
which is God's free gift. All that God has given us. Everything that we have is from him, and everything that we have is for him. So how can I invest in other people? How can I have these partners in the gospel that you're talking about? It's because of God's grace. Because when I realize that other people aren't the competition, when I realize that other people aren't in the way of me accomplishing everything I need to in life, when I realize that we're all in this together because of God's grace, then I'm set free to love others. I'm set free to always thinking about how can I serve someone else because I'm not having to constantly prop up my identity because of God's grace in my life. How can I really invest my time and energy and resources in what matters? I can do that because of God's grace. This is so important. I don't have to spend my time running around saying I've got to do X, Y, and Z to really make my life count. No, I have life because of the free gift of God through Jesus Christ. And what that does is it sets you free constantly to be able to focus on what really matters. I don't have to waste my time over here because that doesn't matter. It's gonna take me away from what's most important. I can focus right here because of God's grace and goodness in my life. Oftentimes, when I'm going through really dark times, when I'm doubting God's work in my life, when I'm doubting God's work in the world around me, there's a prayer that I'll often pray And I'll pray, God set me free to be the man of God you've created me to be for your glory, for the good of others, and my joy. God set me free from all this pressure I'm placing on myself. Set me free from all of these expectations. God set me free to be the man of God that you've created me to be. Not what everyone else would say around me, what you've created me to be. And let me do that for your glory for the good of others, and for my joy, that I would be able to live out the life that you've called me to live. How do you win in God's kingdom? You invest in partnerships in the gospel, and you focus on what really matters, which is living a life that's fruitful in God's kingdom. I wanna pray for us, and then we're gonna wrap up by singing a song and giving you a chance to respond to God's work in your life. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for so many different things going on. Baptism, great music with these students up here helping to lead us, celebration of volunteers, the celebration of graduates, wanting to look into your word to see the way that you've used these people throughout church history. And God, as we look at our own lives and we think about how we invest our time, God, there may be people here that are feeling very uncomfortable at work, very uncertain about whether or not their life really matters. We go through life day after day, week after week, not really seeing any results, not seeing life go anywhere. God, I pray that this morning, through your word, that you would help them to come back to the two things that really matter, which are those partnerships in the gospel, those people that you placed around us in the church, and living our lives in order to meet pressing needs. Invest in our lives where it's most fruitful. God, teach us. Give us the wisdom to know how to spend our time, how to spend our energy, how to spend our resources. God, we want to do that so that others would know your grace, so that others would know the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.